This morning's scripture comes from Isaiah 55, verses 7 through 11. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed, yields seed for the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is the word of the Lord for us. Have you ever been in an intersection? You're at a red light and the light turns green and the car behind you does something? Has that ever happened to you? Light turns green, and the person behind you honks. Uh, There's one Christian author who talks about the fact that there is a unit of time smaller than a nanosecond. He calls it the (laughs) honk-o-second. He says it's the time between the light turning green and the car behind you honking. (laughs) And so you realize that the reason they're honking their horn is because they're impatient. Notice I didn't ask for how many of you are the person honking their horn. I know it's none of us. It's the people behind us. Uh, It's because they're impatient, because they want to go forward and you're not stepping on the gas. And the world is growing more and more and more and more impatient. We live in an on-demand society. We want same-day shipping. We want instant downloads. We want that one-click checkout. Just one, boom, no, it's clicked out. It's checked out. If you really want to test your patience, go to a fast food restaurant and wait for more than five minutes for your burgers and fries. (laughs) Reisner family took an out-of-state road trip yesterday for a a relative's grad party, and so we drove through, we went through McDonald's, and uh, the the staff at McDonald's, like, God bless them, but it's like, have you never, have you never taken an order for 10 people before? You know, I, I, I've, I've joked that I think we would get through faster if we just went up one at a time. Here's what I'll take. Thank you, Peg. Get the food. Go. I think we would get through faster if we did that versus give them an order for 10 people. Um, if you, if you want to test your patience, go to a fast food restaurant and, uh, and wait more than five minutes for your burger and your fries. But that's the, the, this is the era we live in, right? We live in the era of Netflix. I want the movie and I'm going to watch it immediately. We live in the era of microwaves and yes, liposuction. I want, I want the results right now. I'm not going to work for them. I'm not going to wait for them. I want, it, I want it right now, and I want it without delay. And sometimes we get impatient with God. When we don't see the things that we want to be seeing, we wonder, what is it that God is up to? When you want to get married. When you want to have that baby. When you want healing. When you want resolution to that problem. But God doesn't seem to be doing anything. We get impatient. And so we can do one of two things. We can either wait on the Lord and trust in his timing, or we can go our own way. In today's Bible story, which is from Genesis chapter 16, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. In today's Bible story uh, from the, the life of Abraham, we see Abraham and Sarah doing it their own way. They're impatient. They say, enough with the waiting. We are ready for the promised child. And so... Let's make it happen. So I'll give you a little, uh, a little teaser into what happens here. Is the wife, Sarah, 
gives to the husband Abraham her servant, who's a woman whose name is Hagar. She wants her to be the surrogate mother of this promised child. And things get really messy really quick. And so sometimes we learn from the mistakes of the flawed heroes of the Bible. This morning is is one of those times where we learn from the flawed heroes of the Bible. And what we learn is that through it all, we have a God who sees us. That's what this this Egyptian servant, Hagar, who's kind of caught in the middle of this whole mess, that's what she realizes and that's what she declares, that he is El Roy. He is the God who sees. Even at our lowest point, God sees us. And that's what we're going to be encouraged with this morning. I do want to say, welcome. I am glad you're here. I'm just thrilled that you've come this morning. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So we're studying the life of Abraham, Father Abraham, and we have seen him and followed him from Ur to Haran to Egypt to Canaan. And this morning, this is kind of like a detour. I say that the Hagar and Ishmael story in some ways is like when you're reading through the Chronicles of Narnia and you get to the horse and his boy, it's not really the main story, but it's just one of those side stories that, that uh, plays into it in a really significant way. And so Hagar and Ishmael happens in Genesis chapter 16. Let's turn in there in our Bibles to that space. We're going to read through this story together. Starting in verse one, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. It says in verse four, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So let's stop there. Now, we know that at this point, God has a covenant with Abraham. We talked about that just last week. God has said to Abraham that I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. He has given him the promised land, the land of Israel. It's now the land of of Canaan. He has said he's going to make him into a great nation. And he has specifically said, no, 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 no. It's not through this high-ranking servant. Remember that from last week? It's not this guy. It is through a legitimate son. But his wife, Sarah, is about 75 years old. And she is barren. She's never had any children. She's never been pregnant before. And the years just keep passing by. And they just keep waiting. When is this promise going to come? And is Sarah really going to be able to get pregnant and have a baby? It seems like that window of opportunity has passed. And so even though Sarah thought that by this time, she certainly would have been changing some diapers or enduring those sleepless nights with the crying baby, she has not. Her heart has simply been aching because she has not had a child. Now, to, to add on to this, we don't really fully understand it in our context, but in their culture, for a woman to be barren, to, to not have children, would have been a great source of, of shame and embarrassment. It would have brought dishonor on her, her family, on her husband, on her household. And, you know, I imagine that Sarah had gotten her hopes up through this whole process. Wow! We're going to be parents. We're going to be, we're going to be the matriarch and patriarch of this great generation, of this great nation. She's got her hopes up, but then it just doesn't seem to happen. And she's like the car behind you with the green light. 
time to honk the horn. And so I think what we see is Sarah's excitement has really turned into disdain. Can't you hear it in her voice? Like if you look again at verse 2. The Lord has kept me from having children. I mean, I just hear a disdain in her voice there. She, she, she is, her heart is aching. She feels hurt. And so here's what happens. Sarah concocts this plan. She is going to take Hagar, give Hagar, and Abram will take her as his wife, as, as like a second wife. They'll conceive the child by her. And by the way, I should say, this was a common practice in their time. If you've got a family of standing and the wife doesn't seem to be getting pregnant, it was very common. We'll just bring a second wife into the equation. The family lineage continues and it's through her. And so that's exactly what they do. And Hagar gets pregnant. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the dynamic in this household? This was the slave woman. And she used to wait on Sarah hand and foot. And now she has been elevated to wife status. And not only wife status, but she's the pregnant one. And I just imagine that Hagar is the one getting all of the attention because of her pregnancy. And you know, she has that special glow. I, I think she was probably parading around the house with this newfound sense of importance. Oh, A.B., won't you give me a back rub? How do you think that made Sarah feel? Oh, I just have a hankering for some pickles. Sarah, won't you be a dear and go get me some? Can you imagine the dynamic that's happening in this household? The slave has become the wife who is now the pregnant wife. And she's parading around because she is, she is despising Sarah. Oh, I've got to go off to the bathroom again. Well, Sarah, I guess you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? You've never been pregnant. It says she despised Sarah. Sarah means princess. Hagar saying, look who the princess is now. Oh, the baby just kicked. Oh, Abraham, what do you think? It's a boy or a girl? I'm just so glad that I can give you the child that you've always wanted. She has become Hagar the Horrible. <laughs> now, remember, th this, this woman, Hagar, she's an Egyptian. She probably most likely joined their family through uh, when their household went to Egypt. Remember the potato famine? Okay, not really potato famine, but there was a famine in Canaan. They went to Egypt. She probably joined their family through that time. She was a foreigner. She was a slave. And all of a sudden, she is a wife. And she is the one who is going to produce this long-desired child. This situation got really messy really fast. And this wasn't God's plan. Like, from the very beginning, God's design for marriage was one man and one woman. For life. He was not asking Abraham and Sarah to take matters into their own hands, to bring Hagar into the equation, to do what everyone else in their culture did. Just take on a second wife. Just make sure you've got kids. God wasn't asking them to do that. He was asking them to trust him and to be patient and wait on his timing. And so things go south. Let me just kind of paraphrase some of the story. Um, Sarah is fed up with Hagar. I mean, right, you can only, you probably only stomach so much of that. 
And Abraham tells Sarah, you can do whatever you want with her. And so the, the scripture tells us that Sarah mistreated Hagar. We don't know exactly all of what that entails. But she mistreats Hagar so badly to the point where Hagar decides, this isn't even worth being here. I'm going to run away. And so she leaves. So Hagar flees. She heads back toward Egypt. She's all alone. She's hot. She's tired. She's in the wilderness. She's in a desert. She's very pregnant. She's probably a wanted woman for fleeing from her master. She's all alone in the desert. Like things don't really get much worse than they did for Hagar in this situation. Is she even going to make it back to Egypt or is she just going to die right there in the desert? She's completely overwhelmed and broken. And then something amazing happens. In Genesis chapter 16, where we see this story. Well, let me just put it this way. Here's what doesn't happen. Here's what doesn't happen in Genesis chapter 16. God doesn't say, good riddance. That wasn't my plan. So I'm glad that Hagar is now out of the equation because Sarah's the one who's going to have the promised child. God doesn't say, oh good, that slave woman is gone. Let her die in the desert for all I care. Let me just go back to working on Abraham and Sarah. That's not what God says. Instead, what happens is God sees Hagar. God goes to Hagar, even though she is unwanted and unloved and mistreated and abused. She, she, by the way, if you look closely at this story, she's always referred to when Abraham and Sarah talk about her. It's the slave woman. They call her the slave woman, not when God goes to her. He says her, he calls her by name, Hagar. He meets her right there in the wilderness and he helps her. So let's go down to verse seven. We're in Genesis chapter 16. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, he calls her by name, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Yes, Hagar had been treated unfairly. Yes, this whole idea and mess was sinful. Hagar was not to be the matriarch of Israel, but God had good plans for her life as well. He wasn't about to let her run away from that all. He promises Hagar, actually, that he is going to make her offspring numerous as well. And so here's what Hagar does. She obeys. She returns. She goes back into that mess. She goes back into that household. She submits to Sarai. And I believe she did so with a different attitude. I believe she she learned her lesson. She humbled herself. She went back with humility. I don't think it was any more of the telling Sarah to go on a pickle run. She went back with a heart for reconciliation. And it was time for her to face her situation with the help of God and to walk in his ways. The Lord tells her, by the way, very specifically, you are to name this child Ishmael, which means God hears because he has heard her misery. And then if we key in on verse 13, it says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. In the ESV, it's it's really sweet. I like how it's worded there. It says, I have seen him who looks after me. I have seen him who looks after me. 
And so Abraham becomes a father. <laughs> but it's not to the promised heir. That's, that's yet to come. That hasn't happened yet. He becomes a father, but it's father to Ishmael. And the Lord prophesies and foretells about him. Says he's a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> Probably a really interesting character. That, that he's going to live in hostility toward others. Of course, we understand from uh, world history, Ishmael becomes the father of all the Arab people. We know God's prophecies come true there, that the Jews and the Arabs have lived in conflict with each other for thousands of years. They're the ones who came up with the idea of uh, Islam. They're the Muslims. Christians and Muslims have been in opposition since it began, just as the Lord said. Why? Because this family decided they were going to do things their own way. We're not going to wait on God. We're not going to do things his way. We're going to do it our way because we want it now and we're going to make a way. That's a big impact. Again, sometimes we learn from the mistakes of the flawed heroes of the Bible. What's interesting is we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And we learn from this. In fact, Galatians chapter 4 speaks into this story. It says that really this story is like a picture of people living in slavery to sin. One of two things. You're either living in slavery to sin or you're walking in Christ's freedom. In fact, I want to turn there. Uh, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 4. L- let's hear the Apostle Paul as he weighs in on this from a New Testament perspective and help us understand what we can learn in light of this story. So Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 22, it says, It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And I realize we haven't quite gotten there yet in the story of Abraham, like Isaac hasn't come yet, but we all know that's, that's happening, that the promised son will arrive, Sarah will get pregnant. Verse 24, it says, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free that is above is free so he's 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 saying there are two options here there's the ishmael and there's the isaac there's the hagar there's the sarah the jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother for it is written be glad barren woman you who never bore a child shout for joy cry aloud you who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband and he says now you brothers and sisters like isaac are children of promise. And so this is a true story. This happened. And, and we also understand that it is, it, it can serve as a picture of, are we living in slavery to sin condemned under the law, or do we have freedom in Christ? And we talked last week through the different biblical covenants that we now live under the new covenant, which is in Christ's blood. And so, yes, this morning as we come to Genesis chapter 16, we can learn from this very dysfunctional family. (laughs) We can learn the good news of the gospel. That that our standing with the Lord is not dependent on our ability to always do right. 
That like Abraham and Sarah, we get impatient at times. We lean on our own strength, on our own ideas. But we are not condemned under the law. Instead, we are set free because of Christ. We have the promise of eternity. We are like Isaac, children of promise. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. I want to consider what lessons we can learn from this story. And so I have three lessons for us, one from each of the major characters. What can we learn from Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar? So if we begin with Sarah, we should learn to wait on God's timing. We don't run ahead with our own agenda. We trust God's perfect timing. And yes, this does mean we grow in our patience. Because God puts us in situations that test us and try us. Not because God wants to condemn us, but because God wants to grow us and mature us and develop us. It means growing in our patience. So don't honk at that green light. (laughs) Take a breath. Don't do it your way when God's way doesn't seem to be working. There's a classic study developed by Stanford University. It's called the Marshmallow Test. This is for four-year-olds. To, to, it's an experiment designed to test this uh, instant gratification versus delayed gratification. It's the one where they put one marshmallow on a plate in front of this four-year-old, and they say, you may have this marshmallow, or if you wait 10 minutes, I'll come back, and I'll bring a second marshmallow. So if you wait, you'll get two marshmallows. And then they leave the room. I brought a clip. Check this out. Some of them did, some of them made it, others of them did not. Uh, but as we think about Sarah, she didn't do any better. She, she didn't see how God's plan was going to happen. And so she forged ahead in her own way. And it's like we heard from our scripture reading that Ryan did for us from Isaiah 55. The Lord says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My word is not going to return to me empty, the scriptures say, but will accomplish what I desire. God is able. He doesn't need our help. And so trust him and trust in his timing and don't run ahead of him. Don't go your own way when you run out of patience. Wait on the Lord. If you don't, you will make a mess of things as Sarah did. So the lesson from Sarah we learn is to wait on the Lord. The lesson from Abraham is never go along with sin. You notice as we go through this story that Abraham actually doesn't play a real major role. He doesn't have a whole lot of lines. He doesn't have a whole lot of action. He just sort of seems to take orders in this story. 
He, he doesn't seem to be the one who comes up with the plan. Just like how Adam didn't seem to be the one who came up with the plan to eat the fruit. And it was Eve who ate it first. But what did Adam do? He also ate the fruit just the same as Eve. And so we, we know from the scriptures that we are warned about the sins of omission. <laughs> the good that we ought to do that we don't do. We know from the scriptures from Isaiah verse 5 where it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So when sinners entice you, you don't go along with it. And this can be really hard. Because what if it's a friend or, or family member, right? I mean, in this story, it's his wife. When they suggest something that you know is not right, speak up. That's what Jesus did. Peter, Peter was questioning, are you really going to have to die? Are you really going to have to sacrifice your life? And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. That's the lesson to learn from Abraham. Don't just go along with sin. Don't just say, well, it wasn't my idea. No, it wasn't your idea, Abraham. But it was a bad idea and it was a mess. And you didn't stand up for what was right and you went along with it. So listen, I want, I want to say this with, with gentleness, but use the God-given authority to stand up and say, no, that's not right. The people that you influence, choose to speak life, choose to speak truth, choose to avoid the pitfalls of the enemy. So from Abraham, we learn, don't go along with sin. And, and then I want to conclude with, with Hagar. Um, again, I think she's really the main character in this story, and there's so much we can learn from her. One of which is, don't run from your problems. And I hope you caught that. That when she's in that desert place, hot, alone, tired, very pregnant, broken, the Lord told her to go back. Go back. Submit to the Lord. Submit to the authority that God has placed over your life. Work through your struggles. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God and humble yourself before one another. We know, we, we went through this series uh, this spring on one anothering. One of them is submit one to another. Sometimes we're tempted to run from situations that are hard. But listen, the Lord knows what you're going through. You can discover what Hagar did, that he is the God who sees, that he is the God who doesn't leave you alone and desolate in the wilderness, but he meets with you in that place. He heard Hagar. He heard her groans and her misery and her frustration, and he took pity on her. He drew near to her to encourage her. And as she said, she saw the one who looks after her. So I want you to be assured if God hears what's happening in this Egyptian servant girl's world, he knows what's happening in your life. He cares for you. He didn't just discard her and say, oh, great, she's out of the picture now, back with my plan. He said, no, 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 I've got a plan for her life as well. I'm going to make her offspring numerous as well. So God hears the things that are weighing you down, the things that are heavy on your heart. And again, if you look closely at this story, yes, Hagar was culpable. Yes, she began to despise Sarah. We've done some imaginative reading this morning where, where maybe she was flaunting that. So I do think she's culpable in this, but she was also mistreated. 
She didn't ask to be put in this situation. Once she was pregnant, she didn't ask for Sarah's mistreatment of her. Once she was there, she probably expected her husband, Abraham, to do something to protect her and care for her, but he didn't. He again stood idly by. He said to Sarah, she's your servant. You do with her whatever you want. So Hagar has been mistreated. But God cares for those that are downtrodden. When you're attacked, when people are saying things about you that are untrue and unfair, God knows. He knows what's been done to you and said to you that has hurt you. He knows the bad news before it's delivered to you. He hears your prayers. He hears the ones that are eloquent and and well formulated, but he hears the ones that are just crying out in pain. Those groans, those mutterings, the confusion, the, the ones screamed in anger. He hears it all because he's with you. You are not alone. And so I want us to be encouraged by this story this morning. It's a story of brokenness. It's a messy story. We, we learn mostly from these people what not to do. They're, they're flawed biblical heroes. But no matter where you are in life, no matter what is happening in your world, even if you are, think you're totally isolated, you think no one knows what you're facing, you can be assured that God hears you. God sees you. In fact, God calls you by name. Into the wilderness he went, Hagar. I've not given up on you. And he called her to face the trouble. God doesn't always tell us to take the easy route. Sometimes he calls us to hard things. But he says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you through. Psalm 33 verse 18 says this, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. We are trusting in God. We are trusting in his timing and his way. We're not going to do it our own way. We're not going to run out of patience and say, fine, God, you didn't come through, so I'm going to figure it out. We trust. And when we find ourselves, because we're not going to get it right, not all the time, we're going to find ourselves broken and hurting and feeling discarded and in the wilderness, but when we're in that place, he sees us. Did you know there's nowhere you can go to escape from God? Nowhere. You can't hide from him. You can't run away from him. God, the scriptures say God never sleeps. He's always watching. He sees things before they happen. He's not even confi- confined by space or time. He governs over the affairs of the earth. And so I want us to learn this morning what Hagar learned. That he is El Roy. The God who sees. There is a God who created you, who sees you, and who loves you. And through sending his one and only son, Jesus, who willingly went to the cross and shed his innocent blood, you can be forgiven and redeemed and have the hope of eternity. I want you to know that our prayer team is going to be available in the front after the service. We'd love to meet with you, pray with you, minister to you, no matter what burden you're carrying. No matter what desert you're in, God sees your misery just as he saw Hagar. So be assured. No matter where you are, no matter what you're saying, he hears you. Again, those those shouts of elation 
from winning a high school uh, state championship. He hears those from those utters of despair. When we're overwhelmed with doubt, with worry, with fear, and the scriptures say, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. The scriptures say, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he's going to do what? Make your paths straight. That's God's plan. That's God's way. So keep trusting. Press on in patience and perseverance, knowing that God has not abandoned you, that he is with you. And he will keep you. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God. We humbly approach you this morning, submitting to your authority and your will for our lives. And Lord, it's a little bit scary to read the story of Hagar. And how you told her to go back and submit to Sarah. (laughs) But Lord... We know that following your path is better than following our own plan. And so, God, would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? Oh, Lord, give us spirits eager and willing to obey you and to walk with you in loving communion, knowing that we can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing now on those situations that seem like you're not at work. Where we maybe are tempted to go our own way. Lord, give us patience. Lord, give us trust. Lord, give us hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure, because we are rooted in you. And Lord, we know you can accomplish all of this because of who you are. We pray that you would and that you do it for your honor, for your glory, for your namesake, and the furtherance of your kingdom as we eagerly await your sure and soon return, that we will spend eternity with you in paradise. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We love you, and we thank you for your endless love for us, praying it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.